Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Bivens Point, a wellness community that offers rehab and recovery services, long-term care, and the BeFit Outpatient Therapy Clinic for senior adults. When it's time to help your parents or grandparents make rehab or nursing care decisions, turn to Bivens Point. Visit BivensPoint.org to learn more about the community or to schedule a tour of their facilities. That's Point with an E. Today's guest is Caleb West. Caleb is one of the founders, owners, and brewers at Pondacetta Brewing Company. Along with co-owner Trevor Martin, Caleb launched Pondacetta in 2018 as a tap room in a building that used to house York Tire near 45th and Coulter. It's in southwest Amarillo. Caleb grew up in Canyon, but he lived and worked in Austin before deciding that Amarillo needed an independent tap room, and that this was the ideal time to open it. And I should mention, Pondacetta won the Best Local Brewery Award, a fan-favorite vote, at the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest last summer. They've already made a really big splash. So here's Caleb West. Caleb West, welcome to the Hey Amarillo Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I I know that there's a ton of stuff that that I want to talk about, but the question that I ask my guests to start just about every episode is, why are you here? How did you end up in Amarillo? Um, So tell me a little bit about that story, your connection to the city. Sure. So um, I grew up in Canyon. All of my family, you know, has been here basically. Um, So all my grandparents and aunts and uncles and everybody are all here and this is where I grew up overall. But, uh, like a lot of people, my my parents tried to move away and leave and then ended up being pulled back in. So we moved away a couple different times when I was growing up. Okay. But then um, I also, like I graduated high school from Canyon High and then left pretty quickly and never expected to come back. But <laughs> did, did you always like come back to Canyon? I mean, when you were leaving and going other places and then coming back with your parents? Yeah. So um, we... I want to say I was in second grade. We moved to Houston and moved back to Canyon and okay. then moved to Orlando for my dad's work and then moved back to Canyon. Do you, I mean, those are pretty distinct places. Do you have like a lot of memories of that or was it, were you too young or was it too quick to really build When we much went to that? Houston, I have like a few really faint memories, just sort of like kind of casual kid thoughts in your head and, you know, not entirely sure what, <laughs> what was important or really that relevant at that point. But then when we moved to Orlando, like I was pretty uh, tied into like a group of friends and we lived in Orlando for Three and a half years. Okay. How old were you during that um, period? Moved in eighth grade, so 14 or so probably. And then uh, when I moved back, it was my junior year in high school, so I was about to turn 17. Okay. So that's a a pretty tough time to be moving back and forth. Yeah. And even at this point in time, my parents say that it was partially due to us that we moved back, me and my younger brother, Mm -hmm. but... uh, it, it was their decision. I mean, clearly it was their decision. I left behind my uh, serious girlfriend and Ooh. all of my close friends. And, um, you know, we had a really good tight knit group there. And I stayed in touch with all those guys for a long time. And even to this day, uh, still talk to them. And then I'm now married to that girl that I was dating in high okay, school. Cool. So, so like really long, one of those horrible, like ridiculous, like love story things. So Orlando to Canyon at 17, that's a big, big change. Yeah. Yeah. I was really into, uh, punk and rockabilly music and no one here, I mean, seemingly no one that I knew, knew what that was. And it was an adjustment for sure. But then again, I like slid back into a group of friends that I had had like off and on in sixth grade. So, you know, 
it wasn't totally foreign. It certainly wasn't totally like a normal adjustment either, though. But in that time period, I got into uh, got into like other types of music, including Texas country music, which long way to get to it. But uh, Trevor and I, my business partner for Fonda we met actually playing in a Texas country band when okay. I was finishing up my senior year of high school. And he was actually living in Lubbock, going to tech. Me and his brother uh, started a band together and then we needed to recruit a drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... We, we called up his brother and uh, that's where Trevor and I first started like connecting and, and becoming friends. And interestingly enough now, like, and over the last 10 years, we actually, the two of us stayed in touch, Trevor and I did, as opposed to his younger brother, who I was much closer to back in the day. So hmm. what, what was that band called? Uh, the Newton Road Ramblers. Okay. Did you do many shows in this area? <laughs> it was, or was pretty short. Was it a short lived experiment? Uh, yeah, it was about a, a six month window of, okay. you know, high school, early college bands in every way imaginable. Uh, we played a couple of shows. Well, actually, I take it back. We played one show at the ATO Lodge in Canyon. Wow. All right. <laughs> so a pretty uh, felt like a pretty big show in the moment, but in retrospect, uh, not not a lot to it. <laughs> so what happened after um, you graduated from high school? So I uh, basically, I chased a girl, my, my wife, to uh, Florida State. And so I went to Florida State and... My actual, like the actual backstory is I did a semester at Texas State. I came back and did a semester at WT and mm-hmm. then I went to Florida State Okay, and I did online classes through Amarillo College at Florida State, like while living in Tallahassee with a Florida driver's license so I could get in-state tuition because my parents refused to pay for out-of-state tuition very understandably and super grateful that they paid for school to begin with. So <laughs> but, it's, it's a really complicated college path. Though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I went to like, like I said, I was enrolled in. Texas State, WT, Amarillo College, and then graduated from Florida State. All right. And so I worked full-time and had, um, like, actually, when I graduated college, I had three different jobs. So where did you, once once you graduated from college, I mean, what did you kind of see yourself doing? What was your career plan or path or future um, looking like? So I'd started homebrewing in college, and some small part of me always wanted to open a brewery and pretty handy and kind of entrepreneurial ideas in my head at least. So that always appealed to me, but I was working in bike shops at the time. So I started working at a bike shop in Austin right after college. Wasn't sure if I would go to grad school or not. I went, I have a history degree. Part of me wanted to go to law school. Part of me wanted to get a PhD in history for just because that Mm -hmm. seemed like an, an appropriate path. But I quickly, you know, decided I needed to do something like a little bit more, you know, hands on to a degree. And so um, after a few years at the bike shop where I was super comfortable, but it was a bike shop and I didn't feel completely fulfilled with right. what I was doing. I started looking for a, a new job or something else to do. And I, I honestly, in that one moment, I didn't know what that was. I started studying for the, uh, LSATs. I started, uh, like looking up schools to continue, uh, like higher education stuff. And then at the same time I started like wondering about working at a brewery and, um, kind of lucky, I guess. I, I, a friend of a friend, basically a family friend, um, put me in touch with somebody who did all of this um, installation and training work uh, for Premier Stainless, which is an equipment manufacturer in the brewing industry or in the brewing world. Okay. Um, and so that's what I did right before we opened upon a set of brewing co. But uh, he hired me as a trainer, basically, and okay. an installer. So Was that like based in Austin when you were doing uh, that? I or? was based in Austin, but the company's based in San Diego. Okay. And so a lot of travel involved? It was 100% travel. Okay. And it was kind of part-time, so I still actually worked at the bike shop. Still wasn't sure what was going to happen for me and career and wasn't really worried about it at the moment because I had something that was kind of fulfilling. 
like I'd travel, like my first job, uh, was in Austin. And then after that I went to North Carolina and then the next job, very next job I was in Canada and then Mexico and all up and down the East coast. And so it was kind of like, uh, I would work with brewers who most of them are all super cool people. There's a, a saying that, uh, Sam Calgione, who's the founder of Dogfish Head, uh, has said, and everybody knows it from him, but it's the brewing industry is 99% toll free. And that's, <laughs> pretty accurate. Even now, even as big as the industry is getting, like I've met only cool people, I would say in the brewing world. And so, you know, I'd, I'd show up in a random city who had just received uh, brewing equipment. The brewery wasn't necessarily open yet. I'd help them put it together, make sure they had all the pieces they needed. Uh, and then I tell them what they had to do next, which was basically hook up power and right. water and all that stuff. So these are mostly like breweries that were just getting started. It wasn't like an existing brewery is adding some stuff. A lot of times it was kind right. of a ground floor build yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so a lot of that was literally from the ground up. Um, every once in a while you'd have a brewery who was adding a second facility or, you know, upgrading equipment. Um, but a lot of it was brand new startup breweries. And so, you know, I'd show up on site and tell them what to do. And then I'd leave, I'd go home and then they'd spend anywhere from a few weeks to a few months to at the worst case, like a couple of years, putting it all together, hmm. uh, hooking up all their stuff and getting their city inspections done and things like that. And then I'd come back and, um, we would go through a test brew basically. And I'd make sure they knew how to use the equipment. And, you know, sometimes I was training home brewers who had never brewed before on commercial equipment. Right. And sometimes I was training, you know, very skilled professional brewers just on the differences in this equipment versus what they'd used before. How long did you do that job? Actively working that or doing that for three years, um, kind of continued doing it once I moved back here to uh, Canyon and Amarillo and uh, did a few jobs as we were doing our startup phase here at Pondaceta. Okay, so you there was some overlap there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a little bit. When did yeah. you start thinking, okay, I'm, I'm doing this thing where I'm helping these people set up breweries. I should just set up my own brewery. I mean, when did, was that always kind of something in the back of your mind? Or I mean, So the, the guy whose job I actually took, he left the job to go open his own brewery. And so uh, my boss, who's a close friend of mine now, he was like, okay, I'll hire you, but you're not going to go leave and start a brewery, are you? And I'm like, no way. I don't want to do that. Uh, and honestly, that was a sincere thought in that one moment. You know, we're talking, I was looking at the world as like, there's a lot of breweries opening up. I'm in Austin. There's a great beer scene. I don't really want to be fighting all of these people just to make a couple drops of beer. Uh, but traveling and installing breweries and working with breweries, like that's really fun. That's what I want to do. Literally two weeks later, I'm doing my first job. I'm like, I'm going to open my own brewery. Yeah. Like it took no time at all. It was like an immediate click. I was like, this is this is something I want to do. And I mean, some of it was because I saw some really cool stuff that I was like, you know, I want to do that. And then I saw some really dumb stuff like I will never do that. Yeah. And I like this guy is barely going to make it or something, you know, or at least that's the sentiment. And it's like, I think that that's something that I need to like work on on my own, you know, something I want to do. Tell me about... Well, the first thing I want to ask is is about the process once you started to decide, okay, I want to start one and figuring out where that was going to be. Because you were in Austin at the time. Yep. You still had ties to Florida. Right. You know, yeah. you had the connection to Canyon. I mean, did you think, I mean, what's the best, where's the best place, you know, to open this thing or to try this thing? Yeah, so step one was to convince my wife that we should do this. And actually, that was easier than I anticipated. And so, yeah, she's on board. We want to open a brewery. So we were seriously considering what and where uh, and what that would look like. We had just had our first kid and... So all of a sudden now we were thinking about closer to family and things like that. And so uh, we loved Austin and we seriously considered it. It was a really hard decision to ever really imagine leaving there. Mm -hmm. But 
Um, honestly, our first plan was to go to Tampa. Um, you know, Florida is like a pretty growing beer scene and, you know, there's some really small old school communities, especially in the Tampa area. Um, and we even went so far as to go look at houses there, um, a couple of times. And we were looking at areas like, could the brewery be opened here? And certainly the answer is yes. And there's been plenty of breweries open in that area since we had that conversation, but we actually kind of looked at it and realized that the market there was a lot like the market in Austin. It was a pretty tight knit brewing community, but also pretty active already. Um, not a lot of room to just open the doors and everybody would just show up. Right. You'd have to really work to prove your name and not that you shouldn't do that anyways, but it's a lot of, that's a lot to try to imagine as a startup brewer and a startup industry in a town that you're not like actually that familiar with. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so we made a trip back here, um, to Amarillo and visited my family and I'm kind of, they, my parents knew we were talking about this kind of idea and, they were really hesitant to suggest uh, opening a brewery here or trying to tell us to move back home because they knew that that was probably not on the table. Uh, but while we were here, um, you know, we we recognized places like YCSF and Imperial Taproom when it was in Canyon. Mm-hmm. And like, wow, Canyon going wet and places like Crush and YCSF here in Amarillo, like maybe there's actually, a, maybe there's actually an interest in craft beer and more exciting food and interesting things. And so we started like kind of casually pondering it. And then we had, my wife and I had to talk like, are, are we seriously considering like moving here? Cause she's, she's from Orlando. She's never lived in a town smaller than, you know, Tallahassee. Yeah. And so, uh, she really liked Austin too. And so it was a big, it was a big commitment, but we started thinking about it. We found a couple of places that we thought might be, you know, viable locations and, you know, talk to people, uh, around here that were like, is this a thing? Like, could we, could we open a brewery here? We actually have, uh, she has a friend from grad school. Uh, she went to grad school at UT and so she has a friend who worked at boys ranch. Uh, they still do. And I called her, uh, her friend and her friend's husband. I was like, Hey, you guys live in Amarillo now. Like, do you think that like, cause we would, you know, we would go drink beer with him. They come visit us in Austin. We'd hang out. I'm like, do you think that that would work? And he's like, yes, move here now. Like hmm. it was, uh, a wholehearted endorsement of like the Amarillo community and what he thought like was, was a, you know, an option, um, here. So we were still kind of, uh, my wife and I had made all these thoughts and like plans and sort of things on our own at this point. But, uh, we realized that we didn't necessarily want to go at this alone. And so, my business partner, Trevor, had been homebrewing about the same amount of time as I had. And uh, so I called him up one day and I was like, hey, I don't know what you're doing. Like, we don't talk all the time. But I was like, I'm going to open a brewery. Do you want in? And without, without any hesitation, he said yes. Where was he at the time? He was in Lubbock. Okay. So he went to he went to school at Tech and ended up um, staying there for, I think he was there for 13 or 14 years. Um, didn't necessarily love Lubbock, but didn't really, you know, have any plans to go anywhere right away. But, you know, he grew up in Canyon too. And when I was like, Hey, let's, let's do this. He, uh, he was in, he calls it his midlife crisis, his pre midlife crisis. Um, cause he wasn't really thrilled with what he was doing for work. And like, I remember I was literally sitting in an airport about to go, uh, to work at a brewery job and, you know, for premiere. And I called him and he's like, you want to open a brewery? Yes. <laughs> in, in Amarillo or Canyon? Yep. Okay, I'm in. Like, let's do this. What what year was that when you guys both said, okay, let's do this? So that was early 2016, um, probably like February-ish. Okay, and so you guys opened late 2018. Correct. Which gives you about uh, two and a half years, I guess, that 
that you had the process of taking this agreement or this dream to turning it into a thing. Right. Um, so walk me through like like some of the decisions you had to make. I mean, if you you knew that you wanted to be in Amarillo, but like there's a lot of Amarillo. There's a lot of places you could have gone. Like, how did you decide where you wanted to drop this business? Yeah. So. First and foremost, we actually decided we wanted to do it in Canyon. Okay. Uh, I thought I would live in Amarillo. I couldn't imagine like living in small town Canyon and it's not even that small, but you know, uh, the thought of moving back to my exact, like my hometown was kind of uh, extreme seeming. So I was like, we'll live in Amarillo, but the Imperial Taproom had just opened up basically on the square in Canyon. And we were looking at some spaces around the square in okay. Canyon. We were like, that would be perfect. Yeah. Um, and so we even found a spot and thought we had a pretty good line on it. Seemed like a pretty realistic possibility that we would be able to get the building. Uh, and then uh, in the long run, Joe Taco actually opened up in that space. Okay. Uh, would have been a really cool spot for a brewery just in terms of brick warehouse. It was, uh, I think it was built in the early 1920s. So like our, uh, our, our minds were reeling from the very beginning. It's like, oh, wow, this cool space. We could do this, this, and this. And so uh, we actually did all of our initial planning more or less centered around that. Um, Real similar business plan, but a little bit more focus on um, like outside sales distribution type stuff, but still taproom focused, variety focused, you know, all based there. Um, in retrospect, probably for the best that we ended up here in Amarillo and specifically where we're at uh, over on uh, 45th. So um, once we realized we weren't going to get to space in Canyon, we pretty quickly realizing that Canyon would have a whole bunch of hurdles that we weren't maybe needing to fight, uh, mm -hmm. meaning just population as much as anything, yeah. but also some alcohol laws that weren't as friendly, even though it became wet, it certainly wasn't as friendly as Amarillo is in terms of a brewery opening up. Okay. And so, so we looked at Amarillo for a while. We looked downtown a bit, we looked kind of all over and weren't really sure what would be great. We, we actually kind of framed it more in a knowing what we would need on the infrastructure for the, for the brewery side. Um, so tall ceilings, uh, a lot of electricity, <laughs> natural gas supply, um, and that was kind of the the basics. And so we worked pretty uh, seriously actually on a space um, sort of in, in between like classic Route 66, 6th Street and actual downtown. A friend of the family was like developing a piece of property down there. And we thought that'd be really great until we got the bids back on all the things that needed to happen for that space. And it was, you know, nearly $2 million just for wow, build out. And we to, were just like, wow, that's uh, you know, we knew it was going to be an expensive project to begin with, but that was way was because of the different. like challenges of that building itself. I mean, yeah, some more of the specifically that, and, stuff. and, and then, you know, the, the vision was a, uh, a combination of not only our vision, but the developer, yeah. the, the contractor's vision. And so we knew from the very beginning that Trevor and I wanted to have a lot, a lot of control in what the final product looked like. And we're both pretty handy, done construction projects on our own and things like that. So uh, we knew that we were going to do more of the work. And in this particular scenario, that just wasn't feasible. Okay. And so, yeah, I remember getting that budget back and just being blown away. And, you know, we're at this point, we're probably about a year in. So November of 2016, I moved back to Canyon Moved in with my mom and dad, uh, my wife and my kid all like living there. Trevor stayed in Lubbock for a little while and I started working like, you know, we had been working on a business plan at this point for several months. Uh, we wrapped that up in early 2017. Um, and then that's when all the property search started basically. Um, and, you know, understanding we'd have to fine tune it based on a new location right. and that sort of thing. So I uh, got the budget back from the the builder on the property downtown and it was you know, like I said, nearly $2 million just for renovations, not accounting equipment or anything like yeah. that. And this is 
six months into our like, you know, six months into me living in Canyon at this point or whatever. And, and, you know, nearly a year into deciding that we were going to open a brewery and we're just like, wow, is this even possible? Like, how are we going to make this whole work? And so, uh, that was, there were many afternoons when Trevor and I would just spend driving around Amarillo being like, I wonder about that. I wonder about this. And so finally we were like, well, let's just build a building, you know, metal buildings cheap to build. And it's certainly not going to have all the remodel. Plus we can do all the infrastructure from the ground up. So we called on a piece of property in our totally, you know, delusional minds, uh, on Coulter. And they're like, Oh, that building or that property is, I can't remember now. I'm going to say it was $1.6 million. Yeah, it's probably a million dollars. <laughs> we're like, oh, yeah. oh, that's why. <laughs> that's why we're not going to do that. And so the the realtor who, um, I don't even remember which particular real estate agent we were speaking to on the phone. I randomly called on a sign, like literally driving down yeah. Coulter. We're like, what about that? And so he's like, you know what? I have something that might be interesting to you. And he mentioned the location we actually ended up in. And so he's like, it was most recently, it was York Tire. Uh, it's right around the corner from where you guys are at. You should go drive over there. And he didn't even have the listing. He was just like, go check this out. He's like, I think it's pretty cheap. And I mean, I don't know if he even remembered what it was or what. But uh, so literally, we, we did a U-turn. We went down and we drove by and we're like, okay, now we're talking. Like, yeah. this is perfect. And it had the big, you know, automotive bins and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. retail entrance, all that kind of stuff. That- yeah, we, we really liked the fact that it was a standalone property, not in a strip center. Because, you know, strip center properties have a whole slew of other, you know, potential concerns. And then, you know, had dedicated parking, big overhead doors. And, you know, you can tell, like, it's... You know, just like walking into a, any current tire shop in Amarillo, like there is a distinct uh, retail area mm-hmm. from the beginning. And then there's all this service space. And we're like, there's a lot of good opportunity here. And so that was probably, that was fall of uh, 2017. So we quickly got to work to try to put together, you know, some more of our, like finalize some of the investors and, you know, try to make a, make a run at the property itself, trying to either buy it or lease it. And we pretty much knew we would be leasing at this point, but, um, we, you know, kind of worked through all that and we finally work to, you know, get to the point where we're like ready to sign a lease with the landlord and the landlord's like, sure. Okay. Come on, come on up and sign the, sign the papers. So we get in the car, drive to Amarillo from Canyon to go sign our lease. And he calls us when we're on the way up there. It's like, never mind, I'm not going to lease it to you. Like what? Wow! <laughs> it was like shocking. He's like, I don't know. I just don't feel like you guys have it all figured out yet. You don't have all the money together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, but, but we already, we told you we did. Like yeah. we have this plan. I mean, and you know, when we were shopping around, you know, for investors and banks and you name it, like everybody would look at our business plan and be like, wow, this is incredibly detailed. It's like 80 pages of text. <laughs> like, you know, here's what's going to happen, why and how and all that. And the guy just was like, nope, I don't believe it's going to work. And we're like, oh my gosh. Uh, so we didn't know what to do. We were like halfway to Amarillo to like do this. So then we start looking for new property again all of a sudden. Yeah. And it was just such a, a gut punch in that moment. And, um, you know, we, we weren't finding anything immediately that we were interested in and we were feeling really discouraged. And then Trevor's grandparents, actually, uh, Trevor's granddad was like, who is the, who's the landlord? Uh, who owns that property? And we're like, so-and-so. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll talk to you guys later. We're like, that was weird. And then I was like, you don't think that your granddad's going to go call and harass the landlord, do you? And Trevor's like, oh, maybe. Uh, and so then we're sitting there like, okay, call him back. Tell him not to do this. Yeah. Like, we're, you know, we, we were sitting there thinking, like, we feel like children who can't, like, yeah, we need can't get anything done. Yeah, we need, we need granddad's help. Well, we didn't, we didn't stop him. And he actually made contact with the landlord. and was like, sir, they have this going. They're going to make it work. And then literally, like, an hour later, the landlord called us like, okay, we'll do this. Wow. 
Uh, so it was one moment where we were like, come on, granddad, don't do that to us. And on, then immediately afterwards, like, okay, that do, was... Do you think they knew each other? No, all, actually, they don't. Yeah, of... In fact, the landlord lives in Denver. Oh, okay. He, he has nothing to do with... I mean, like, as a whole, he has nothing to do with Amarillo. Uh, he, he owned a couple properties here. Hmm. And, so, so tell me, you know, thinking about your business plan and, and how you knew, like, this thing was going to make money. I mean, tell me what you envision, because there's a lot of directions you can go with a brewery. You know, you can be the, the brew pub option where you're offering food, or it's just kind of like a tasting room, or you've got the distribution channels. I mean, what did you guys kind of want to do with the beer that you were going to make? It was a lot inspired by what we had available to us when we were in Austin. While there were certainly brew pubs, like in the classic sense with a restaurant and all of that, um, there was a lot of breweries who just had comfortable tap rooms where you could just go hang out, have a beer. They were family friendly. They were always busy. There was a lot going on, but you know, one of the, on the beer end, there's a lot of variety. Uh, sometimes like there's a definitely like a target focus, but still you can go and, you know, have like, 12 different options to have right. a beer. And and again, the the real motivator, I think, on that front was we would go to a couple breweries in Austin. We'd take our infant son, and we weren't the only ones with an infant kid uh, at a brewery and hang out for Sunday afternoon. And that was just kind of like one of the favorite things that we had to do. And so uh, when we started thinking about what our, what our brewery would look like, that was a big part of it. Um, and so I uh, wanted to have this sort of focus on the beer itself, and variety, but in a tap room setting. Something that was comfortable to come hang out in for just about anybody was the idea. Without the restaurant component was an interesting sticking point from time to time, but mm-hmm. we knew that our passion wasn't running a restaurant. We knew our passion was making beer. Um, and so that was certainly why we wanted to go that way. Shed a little bit of risk on one hand, but you know, on the other hand, just a little different business model overall. And that was, you know, like you said, that's something that was a familiar model to you you know, from Austin. Right. But there was nothing in Amarillo that was like that. Not yeah. really. I mean, Longwood and Spoon, I guess, had a little bit of, yeah, of that Yeah, to a component. degree, they were doing a lot of that. A little bit they smaller, were, but... Yeah, and I think his, uh, Jared over at Longwood and Spoon, his space is um, just different, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it, small and comfortable, but not necessarily like the the family hangout necessarily. I mean, at least from, from the perspective we were looking at in that one moment. Um, and so we were used to going to Jester King in Austin, which this beautiful space in the hill country, you know, 20 minutes outside of Austin that, you know, there's just roaming bands of kids in the, like in the field and, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of classic vibe of, you know, everybody's just having a beer. Um, and so that was definitely what we wanted to, wanted to do. And, and looking at Amarillo, there wasn't a lot of places to go hang out in as a family, you know, we've got our dive bars, we've got our like restaurants, we've got some of that stuff, but there wasn't there wasn't a lot of other options. Right. Uh, like I've been at, at, at Pondicetta and I've seen kids, you know, with coloring pages and stuff, you know, right. sitting right next to their parents. You don't ever see that at like, you know, the Golden Light or exactly. something. So. Yeah, 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 exactly right. Um, that was something that we wanted to, to bring here for that. And, um, you know, I'd say our demographics at the brewery right now are hugely like like spread apart, like, you know, totally wide open. Uh, lots of families. Um, you know, actually, I just left. It's... Monday afternoon and there was, you know, a couple of retired couples and they're having beers hmm. right now, like, which was not necessarily a market I particularly expected to have. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we knew based on all of our research that the, the biggest demographic for craft beer is going to be, you know, thirties and forties family members, honestly, okay. you know, family people in particular, but you know, or single, single dudes for that matter. But uh, that that thirty to fifty five mark is really the sweet spot for craft beer. Usually, they 
have steady jobs, have a little bit more disposable income and, you know, and a little bit of time so they can, they can come hang out. Tell me about the name. Yeah, how so, you came up with that. Uh, Pondaceta um, actually doesn't have any true meaning as far as like, uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a tree, it's not a plant, which is uh, honestly a very confusing thing to people right now. Uh, we, we got the name from a dirt road in Canyon. Uh, so the very first road as you leave town, um, pass by uh, the high school, the very first road going south towards Happy is um, Pondicetta Road. Okay. Uh, Trevor's family actually has lived out there forever. Um, and so it was sort of our way to call out to home, but not be Paladero Canyon or not be Canyon, Texas right. or Amarillo, Texas Brewing Company or something. And not that there's anything wrong with those, but we wanted to be just a little bit more ambiguous than that, I think. Has has that ambiguity, do you think, been helpful? Like, it has it done what you've needed it to do. Cause I, I also run into people and they're like, yeah, we went to that one place, Ponce, Ponce de you know, you know, <laughs> people can't remember it until they've been a couple of times, I guess. That's possibly fair. Um, you know, I think that what was going through our head in that moment was if you Google us, we're going to be the only thing that yeah, comes up. Yeah. There's not, you know, any confusion. There was a URL that. available. Yeah, you could buy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I think, uh, we wanted to build the, the name and our brand identity, from the ground up. And I think that having something that doesn't have some other connotation or association with it is really helpful there. Uh, but definitely we have people mispronounce yeah. it, misspell it, you know, people ordering the Ponderosa premiere, uh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, totally just assuming it's something that they should recognize and not realizing that it's something totally unique. Do you, uh, do you have plans to get your beer in front of an audience or in front of, you know, a, a, a public beyond just this area, like with, with distribution or with things like that? Are you trying to, uh, to expand that footprint? Um, you know, it's always been something that's kind of on the, in the back of our mind. We wanted to be able to grow into that idea. But if you look at the industry now, the, the biggest focus for any brewery probably is their home market. So okay. certainly our, we're always focused first and foremost on Amarillo and our surrounding small communities. Um, but we currently have a little bit of beer in Lubbock at some point. I would love to see the day where we had the volume and the ability to distribute down to like Dallas or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have friends in Austin that want us to sell beer there, but that's a crazy market that we probably won't ever get to. And it's further from home. So, you know, the further we get from home, the, the less impactful it is that they know Trevor and Caleb, they don't know right. who we are at that point, you know? And so, um, I think we get a lot of, um, we get a lot of value from being, local and here and focused on Amarillo. And you've got your beer in a number of local restaurants too. We do. Yeah. We've got about 12 or 14 accounts at this point, you know, kind of all over town. Is that something that people encountering your beer, let's say, you know, someplace uh, like 575 that, you know, is, is their first introduction maybe to you and then they end up coming to yeah, a lot the of tap times. room? Absolutely. Um, no. And that's something that we, we had to think about pretty hard. It's like, okay, we have a little bit of beer we can distribute now. So like, are we ready to, do we want to, is it going to be taking our own sales away from our, like from our tap room? Right. Uh, and that's something that we had to think about for a minute. And I'd say the, what we've learned is that they, it actually drives more business back to us. So exactly what you said, Okay. you know, they show up and you know, they're eating a, a slice of pizza and they're like, wow, what do you have any local beer? And you know, they have one of our beers on and they're like, wow, this is really good. I wonder what else they do. And so, you know, uh, a lot of our uh, relationships with these accounts are pretty good, and a lot of their bartenders and servers know where we're at and can direct their customers right over to us. So we've had multiple times recently where somebody's like, oh, I was eating lunch, and then I came over here next. Hmm. You know, and that's that. That's like, I think that just feels very good for us. We we feel like we've accomplished that mission when when that happens. 
So I, I have a sense that when you guys started, you know, despite your experience um, that you had, that, you know, everything probably didn't go smoothly as you wanted to at the beginning. Are there like some things that you've learned, you know, over the past year about this is stuff we don't need to focus on. This is something we accidentally did that ended up being cool. I mean, that, have, have there been some surprises, I guess? Oh, there's certainly been surprises. And I mean, I think that's something I can pretty confidently say at anything at any moment we're trying to figure out what makes sense and what will click in our market in particular. Amarillo, as everybody knows, is not like driven by fads and, you know, quick changing beer culture. Right. I mean, that's not. If anything, we're about four or five years behind some of those fads and trends. Absolutely. And, and the way we've described it to people, because we've had to have this conversation, you know, before we got started quite often, Amarillo doesn't like fads and trends. In fact, when we decide to buy into something, we go wholehearted. And mm-hmm. so, you know, craft beer is here. It's not going to go away and that sort of thing. But now we need to figure out what beers does Amarillo want to drink. You know, if you're thinking about uh, a style or something like IPA, most popular style in the U.S., it's probably the most popular style in Amarillo, but just barely. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are right neck and neck with it. And so uh, that's probably one of the biggest things we've learned is Sometimes we think a beer is going to be the most successful beer we've ever released and it feels good when we're right. But then, you know, sometimes we release something that we don't expect to be that popular or don't expect to be particularly exciting and it sells out in a week and we're like, wow, how do we, (laughs) how do we make more of that tomorrow (laughs) knowing that the process is a three week thing? So one of our most popular beers so far has been our Oktoberfest we released this past year. We brewed the most of it out of any single one time release we've done and we still didn't have enough. Hmm. Uh, most recently, the um, Sky Pie, our pecan porter, has been super popular. Uh, we've bro- uh, brewed it on our full-size uh, system and canned it three times now. Uh, we're almost through all of that last third batch. And each time I'm like, it's going to last another week this time. And, yeah. you know, and we're still about three or so weeks before it's gone each time we release it, which is crazy. Do you feel like you have, and I don't know if this is a financial question or just a popularity question, but do you feel like you have a lot of freedom to experiment with some of the different styles of beer or maybe, you know, doing something that's a little bit going to stretch, you know, local tastes? Oh, sure. Um, or is it always like, well, we got to make money on this. I don't know how much we, we really know, have that flexibility. I think it's important for everybody to, to realize and know that like, sure, it's a business and we have to like consider some of those things at times. And certainly like, we have to make sure that our business can stay around. So we can't just do anything. But on the other hand, Trevor and I like pretty wide variety of beer styles and aren't afraid to like throw something interesting in the mm-hmm. mix. Um, you know, like our most recent sour uh, sour beer release is black currant, cranberry, cinnamon, and graham cracker. And I mean, right. there's a lot of things going on in that beer, but it's been really well received in Amarillo. Um, and so I think what we've proven is that um, – some of our customers find that like they can try anything and they're they they think they're going to like it or they expect that it's going to be, you know, maybe well executed. Um, and then other times people try something and they're like, you know, I don't know where you were going with this, but <laughs> it's so interesting. I'm going to have a second one and I'm just going to keep trying to figure that out. And, you know, and I'm OK with both of those with both of those reactions. What are some of the things that you've learned, you know, just being in business here, starting a new business just about maybe the business climate or the people here. I mean, what are some things that, that maybe the last couple of years have taught you? In terms of like the Amarillo community and business. Uh, like, is it is it a good place still to be an entrepreneur, to start something, to introduce kind of a new concept or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it is a good place to open a business. Um, Amarillo has really embraced what we're doing. And we weren't sure 
I've heard a lot of talk about, oh, the Amarillo effect or the way Amarillo reacts to a new business is usually like very excited. And then once the new wears off, sometimes less excited. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a ever a given, re, you know, like a, a standard reason that that might happen. But, you know, needless to say, we were kind of nervous about, OK, we had a really great first month. OK, we had a really good second month. And then we get into the spring and it's like, well, people still going to come in the door. And we, we ask ourselves that all the time. It's like, wow, that was a great weekend we had. I hope somebody comes this week, yeah, which is, yeah. which seems really absurd to say out loud now because we feel pretty comfortable and we feel like the community is really supportive. And so I think certainly always going to have to work on it and be diligent on your business uh, and, and how you get people to come in the door. But from my experience, Amarillo is a great place to start a business. A lot of bars, you know, kind of operate. Um, they they have their regulars who are there either every week or day after day. Is is a tasting room, a tap room like yours, does it kind of follow the same thing where you've got regulars who the same person is there every Friday night or, or something like that? Absolutely. I You know, I don't know what to, to what degree we noticed it in the beginning. And, you know, in the beginning, you don't really know you know, somebody can come in twice and you're like, Oh, yeah. are you a regular now? Yeah. Like, and you're like, Oh, okay, we'll see you later. <laughs> you know? Uh, but honestly I have, um, a few customers who I literally see three or four times a week, okay. uh, like clockwork four o'clock, they come in the door and, and I'm not even working the bar on a regular basis anymore. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always around, but usually hiding in the back or doing some work on my computer or something like that. So, you know, for me to notice them coming in every day right. is pretty significant. I feel like, um, we have some people that uh, maybe don't come every single week, but every time we release a new beer, they they come by and grab a crawler or grab a four pack. And I think there's two different, you know, for us, that's like a couple of different avenues to have something of a regular customer. And uh, we have others that maybe they don't live, you know, over on our side of town. They live, you know, downtown or, you know, in Wolfland or something. And like, I still hear that they get our beer because, you know, they're running over to one of our accounts and drinking it, you know, say at 575 or at YCSF okay. or... Um, you know, we have our beer in Lone Star Liquor. Um, and so, you know, she has a, uh, Janie over there has a great beer selection and, you know, I get to talk to her once a week, usually when I stop by and, you know, get the, the scoop on who's, who's in and, you know, how business is going. And there's a lot of people kind of asking for our product all over town, which is, I think another form of regular that yeah. we have that maybe a, a traditional bar doesn't have. Right. It's not a walk-in regular, but it's somebody right. who has that, you know, week-to-week relationship with yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. What What do you have next coming up for you guys? I, I know that, you know, you've kind of slowly made some adjustments, allowed it to evolve, you know, mm-hmm. bringing in, um, whether it's the food trucks or, or that kind of thing. I mean, do you see, is there a certain kind of growth that, that you're looking for in the next few months? Yeah, so I think we've tried to put a little bit of effort into planning, and that's something that I've learned. I can... In, in answer to business broad or broader business questions, uh, opening your own business, it's all about planning and thinking and scheduling and, and we're getting better at that. Hmm. Uh, that was a, a big, a big learning curve on my end actually. Uh, but related to that, we've been trying to schedule a bunch of beer releases this year. So we, when we release a beer in the tap room, um, honestly that seems easy now. It's like we make a batch of beer, we throw it on the wall and you can come have it. You can come have a beer. But we're wanting to release uh, 12 new canned products this year. Okay. So uh, that's, you know, one a month of something brand new um, and something that, you know, maybe we brewed last year, but it'll be its first time available in in four packs or in six packs and that sort of thing. So uh, that's what I'm working on, like, most actively right this second. We just released one. We're about to release another one. Um, and then got a few kind of in the works for later this spring, uh, including um, one that we did last year for 24 Hours in the Canyon a big charity event. And so we brewed a beer called Park Road 5 Pale Ale, and that beer will be available in cans this year. So okay. that's a pretty exciting one. Um, in conjunction with that, we're actually going to be um, 
trying to develop our patio space, which right now, if you've been out there, it can be really great on one on one day, but if it's really hot, it's going to be really yeah, hot out there. Exactly, it's a lot of sun and everything else. And so uh, we're we're kind of working through a few options on that and getting that space a little bit more patio friendly, if you will, a little bit more inviting, uh, so that you feel like you want to hang out there, especially in the summer when it's hot. This week's episode is sponsored by Jimmy John's. You probably are thinking. Isn't that a chain restaurant? Why is a chain restaurant sponsoring this local podcast? You guys talk about the importance of local businesses all the time. You know what? That's that's a good observation. But it turns out that Amarillo's three Jimmy John's locations, two of them along I-40 and one downtown near the ballpark, they're all owned and operated by an Amarillo resident. Charles is committed to this area. He's involved in the community. He's known for helping out local organizations. He's a great guy and a regular listener to this podcast. So the next time you need a delicious sandwich, and they are delicious, stop by the nearest Jimmy John's. Also, if you're a regular listener to this show, you've heard in past episodes from some amazing female entrepreneurs like Nicole Fleetwood last week, or Phyllis Nickham back in December, or Dejanae Johnson in November. Amarillo has a robust community of women in business, and on March 8th, International Women's Day, the Amarillo Women's Collaborative will celebrate this community. This one-day event brings together local women-owned businesses, female entrepreneurs, and area organizations that provide services to the women in this area. The event is 1 to 7 p.m. on Sunday, March 8th in the Big Gray Warehouse at 509 South Grant. And it's free. It'll feature local vendors, educational services, live music, workshops that focus on sustainable living, The goal of the event's organizers is to create a platform for the women-owned businesses that are so vital to our economy's success. Encouraging and helping these businesses grow is critical to strengthening the Amarillo workforce. So to learn more, look up Amarillo Women's Collaborative on Facebook. I'm excited about this event on March 8th, and I hope you'll put it on your calendar. Okay, I'm back with Caleb West of Pondicetta. Caleb, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. As my guest, you get to answer eight straight questions that I'm going to ask you. And a lot of these are questions that I've asked of other guests, uh, except for this first one, because I I specifically want to hear your answer to this. Uh, What's your favorite style of beer? Uh, So that's a really... Is that like saying, who's your favorite child? I think so. Um, That's a funny one, but also something that we think about all the time as we're trying to figure out, like, what are we going to brew next? Like, oh, I want to drink this, so that's what we make. Um, I think for me, it very much depends on the day, but what I'm drinking the most of right now is a dry hop Pilsner. Uh, So tons of flavor, but really light and easy to drink. Um, But secondarily, maybe like a really complex, like barrel fermented or barrel conditioned sour. Not necessarily super acidic, but, you know, lots of layers and flavors. And I always love IPAs. I can keep going here. I, I was going to say, well, <laughs> I mean, people probably expect you to like something that's a little less common. Like if you were to just say, yeah, I just like a nice, you know, American Pilsner or something like that, they might be disappointed. They want sure. you to like something weird, you know? No, no, totally. And I mean, we've had that conversation with the public before, you know, a customer in the in the brewery, like, well, don't you like them? Like, eh. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I'll say this, like, I like all of our beers or we wouldn't serve them, but they're not all my favorite style to drink on a right, regular basis. Right. And, you know, and some of our more popular beers aren't necessarily my first choice, you know, to begin with. But 
there's a lot of there's a lot of options out there and it's crazy and I hope we can kind of represent that we're pretty happy with the fact that we have a pretty wide list have have you made some that did not turn out the way you wanted it to and you like didn't personally like it yeah yeah actually I'm not gonna ask you to identify those no there, think, there, but... there's one in particular that I can uh, actually I take it back there's two in particular that I can say and one was our first sour and there were people that loved it um but it just wasn't wasn't quite uh, there for me and then um Another was a, a black lager we did last year, and and some of the people listening may know exactly what it was, but I hope that never comes back. Okay. <laughs> Tear up that recipe. And yeah, yeah. Well, moving on on that uh, one. All right. Um, okay. So I want to see if you'll identify with a, a certain team here: Packasack or Tootin Totem. Uh, Packasack. I honestly didn't realize it was such a confrontational uh, issue. I don't know if it is. You know. Uh, you know. I, I kind of have a tie into Packasack. Well, it's a one canyon my, business. Yeah, it's yeah. canyon business. One of my uncles uh, works in some form of management, middle management okay. in that operation. So, what's your favorite street in Amarillo? Classic Sixth Street. Okay. Um, growing up, uh, my grandparents had an antique store down there, so we'd go down and visit. And um, then once I moved away, um, every time I'd come back home, we'd go eat burgers at the Golden Light, and right. that was just felt like home. What was their antique store? Uh, the Archive. Okay. Yeah, uh, and actually, the Archive still exists. They just are no longer on Sixth Different Street. Different owner. All right. Uh, what does this area have too much of? My banker may hate me, but I'm going to say banks probably just everywhere. I mean, I'm sitting next to uh, at at Pondicetto. We're next to two different yeah. banks, and then down the street, like in any direction, you know, go a block and you'll find another bank. Uh, that's what everybody says. That, that there's either a bank or a church on every corner, Absolutely. or a convenience store, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, having that number of financial institutions, I mean, did you have a lot of options? Do you feel like when you're trying to find Absolutely. financing and yeah, get all no, that? we 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 had a we were able to get a good relationship with a few places and and then make our decision, um, and we're happy with with what we've got available to us. Okay, what does this area not have enough of? I'm going to say locally owned restaurants, and not to discredit the ones we do have, but you know. It feels like that's something that's always, you know, when people are like, oh, let's go to dinner. You know, you want to go to Cheddar's? You want to go to Chili's? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're we're big proponents of all of our local restaurants and all of the uh, accounts that Pondicetto sells beer at right now are all locally owned spots. Mm-hmm. So I think we could always use more. And I think we'll always have that big competition because of I-40, you know, Certainly. with the big chains and stuff. So Yeah, absolutely. It'd be interesting to see, and I'm, I know there have been variations of this, but if there was ever like a a wildly successful local spot right on I-40 that, mm-hmm. that attracted both tourists and, you know, out-of-towners. Well, does, does Blue Sky count I as guess, that? I, I guess think Blue so. Sky I may yeah, be the one. Yeah, and, and no, you're right. Um, okay, how do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? The most important place in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we're dead center between Oklahoma City and Albuquerque, but the only reason people know about it, if they're not from here, is they had car trouble here or some, yeah. you know, crazy story about that. So... Uh, you know, try to describe what that's like. And, you know, high plain desert meets cowboys meets a surprisingly big city with lots going on. Okay. That, that's a pretty legit description, I think. When was the last time you went to Cadillac Ranch? Uh, it would have been shortly after moving back home. My in-laws came to visit and were desperate to go out there and see it. And I haven't been back recently. Okay. But that, was, that would have been two years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, desperate to visit just because they had heard about it. It was on yeah. their radar connected yeah, to Amarillo. Well, and my mother-in-law is always like good at like looking up all the touristy things to okay. do in a place. So there's that up front. But, you know, they're from Orlando and never been here before. And so Cadillac Ranch is, is definitely a must-see. I mean, yeah. it's certainly like an experience. Speaking of the the touristy things, um, do, do you find that you get a lot of traffic or maybe stop-ins from people who are coming through this area and just look up? 
local brewery or something like that? And yeah, that definitely, brings them? definitely. So, um, you know, I think it goes one of two different directions. Um, like some of the more exciting customers from our perspective are the ones who, you know, who they pull into town and they're like, okay, I'm Googling brewery first thing. Like right. that's what I'm looking at. That's for. where they want to stop. Exactly. Uh, and then, you know, outside of that, you know, we're open on, we're open seven days a week. And so on Sundays and Mondays, um, people driving through town are like, well, there's not a lot open right now. Yeah. And they just kind of casually end up there and like, wow, this is really cool. Like I haven't, you know, I didn't expect there to be a brewery like this in Amarillo, Texas. Not that they had any reason to think one way or the other. They're driving right. through and have no no real understanding of what, what our community is like. Okay. What's the most underrated aspect of living in Amarillo? Um, I'm going to say Palo Canyon and maybe not so much underrated from a local's perspective, but I mean, I think that that's something that uh, we don't get enough credit for more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, growing up here, we'd hike and mountain bike and camp down there and then got really into cycling. And so mountain biking in Powder Canyon, it, it's hard to beat that. Yeah. And that, I mean, that reputation is expanding, you know, beyond absolutely. this area. I mean, other places in the state. It's on no, the absolutely. Now. All of my friends who are cyclists down in Austin still like, I mean, they're familiar with it, but only because of the cycling side of it. And so, um, I think that's something that, you know, maybe this area deserves a little more, uh, I don't know if credit's the right word, but yeah, at least have, know. we have some room to grow. Exactly. Tourism could, wise, yeah. Right? Grow that tourism side of things. Cause it's the second largest Canyon in the United States. Like that's, that's something that when you tell somebody that they're like, wait, what? Like, yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Caleb, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something, um, related to the area. So what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Um, Go drink a local beer at a local restaurant. Okay. Get get something that's exciting that you wouldn't necessarily think of. And if they were to do that, it's it's very likely they would encounter a beer that you brewed. That's a very good chance. And I, I hope you enjoy it if that's the one you choose. But if it's somebody else's, enjoy that one too. Okay. Caleb West from Pontesetta, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Jason. That was a lot of fun. And that concludes the show. First, I want to say thanks to Caleb for the interview. You can find out more about Pondacetta at pondacetta.com and all the usual social media channels. Thanks also to Jimmy Johns and Bivens Point for sponsoring the show and to Angelina Marie for the editing sorcery. Hey Amarillo is made possible thanks to the financial support of my executive producers, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, Daniel Davis, Corey Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Josh Wood, Chris Selda, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Wilson Lemieux and Jason Burr. They all support the show through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. And if you're interested in being a financial supporter, an executive producer, a sponsor, any of those things, you can do that too. This has been episode 124. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.